Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome. This is the Investor Coaching Show. Paul Winkler. talking about what's going on in the financial world and what you need to know as an investor because let's face it you're going to go through a couple stages of life hopefully the first stage you get making money (laughs) then really hopefully the second one where money is there to provide you an income later on because if it isn't there you can be working on really long time and uh 97-year-old construction workers, or whatever you do. I don't know. Jim Wood here with me. Actually, yeah, it's really hard to do that at 97. Worker. That's um, Yeah, have you ever tried to do construction work even at, you know... Well, I just, I just go out and dig 20s? a hole to plant. I, we planted some trees and I we dug these four holes. And of course, the, the soil here is rocky. Oh, and gosh, yeah. Tough. Did you have dynamite? <laughs> You need I, I can't tell you how bad I felt for a couple of days afterwards, shoulders uh, oh, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. So yeah, this 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 region is brutal for digging. Yeah, no question. So anyway, we're not here to talk about digging and planting. We are talking about planting uh well bad metaphor. Uh retirement money and, and growing. <laughs> I guess it is a good metaphor. But anyway, making sure that you don't kill it. If you got a green thumb. With your investments, it might be a good thing. <laughs> wow, that's really off the beaten path. But anyway, so you had something that was, what was it about uh, investors that are, uh, you, I, said, I said, Jim, you were putting something together there. Well, I, you know, we have come across different articles. This is uh, Jason, Swig, Jason Swig. Yeah, it's good to start conversations that way, just because this is the stuff that you might see out there. And, you know, what... What's real and what's not? A lot of times the media, you'll get things out there that are, there's partial truths in it. I mean, I think about some of the uh, well-known financial authors of the past and how they had part of the story right, and that's why it was so compelling. And then later on, I find out that they had a part wrong that was really bad to be wrong on. Uh, So it's typically how we approach this is to go and show you where things are right, where things are wrong, and help you know the difference between them. That's why, because I'm a Wall Street Journal guy. Yeah, well, just what you were saying, just to to touch on that, I just had a client just literally, I think it was last week, Mm -hmm. send me an article Mm -hmm. from one of the big, uh, you know, um, self, you know, day trading brokerage houses, things like that. And it was all a mostly kind of generic, but sage advice, things like, you know, stay disciplined, things like that. And then it's the same company though, that'll turn around and send you stuff about learning to trade options. Isn't and, that funny? They, yeah. they talk about this and that is so often the case. You'll hear generic things. A lot of the advertising for the financial world in general, and it's something I struggle with quite frankly, because they'll have such generic messaging. But, you know, and then what happens to people, well, yeah, of course I want to save for uh, retirement. I want to save for my kids' college. Oh, yeah, taxes are important. Oh, yeah, we need to make sure that, you know, we take advantage of opportunities. You know, you have all that language that sounds really good. And at the heart of it, when you really get down to what they're doing, 
And you're, I think you're going to get into that. I, I peaked. There was one little thing in there that I'm going to comment on that he said what uh, investors do that are, what do you call sage investors? That, that was my word. That uh, was your, your word. What did he call them? He called them, um, the, well, the, the article was the seven virtues of great investors. I uh, got it. Okay. Uh, and if you're being compliant, it's potentially great investors. <laughs> <laughs> Securities compliance. You got to love them. Well, you know, you know, you, but you, we can call annuities and uh, bank accounts guaranteed when the government has to bail out the, the banks. But anyway, uh, I digress. So what, were, what was the first virtue? Well, the, the first virtue, um, curiosity. Curiosity. Yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, and, it, and of course, it just the, enables you, I guess, you know, kind of having some curiosity, how does this stuff all work, and getting some education and starting to understand, you know, how, how everything works as opposed to just blindly trusting. Something we talk about a lot is you don't want to blindly trust somebody. And so having a little curiosity to say, I have to understand this at least at some basic level. Yeah. What if you hate this stuff, though? What if it's like, oh, this is just a drug? You probably wouldn't be listening to this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know, curiosity, uh, you know, a lot of times is lacking because people don't know what to ask questions about. I don't understand this enough to even ask the right questions. Is one of the things that I find that people have, or they ask the wrong questions. You know, it's like like one of our friends says. You know, I I don't have to have all the answers in life. I just have to ask the right questions. But curiosity, I think, is key to understand why something works. Now, if you want to know what the right questions are, I think that's it. That's it right there. Why does this work? Because, you know, what do I do? That's not a curiosity question because there are loads of people to tell you what to do, right? There are loads of people to tell you, here's what you need to be doing. I was in a bank this week and just doing bank type stuff. And they said, hey, you know what? We've got a, we can hook you up with our financial planner. <laughs> I was like, great. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> this is <laughs> that, really exciting. Interesting conversation. You know, wanted to know about, you know, hey, you can talk about annuities. And I was like, oh, isn't that interesting? That's what you led with. Um, and, you know, investment accounts and stuff like that. So, you know, what, uh, how, uh, you know, that's people are loaded with that. How do you do this? Well, how do you do it? As you sit down and you go through a financial plan process and we'll come up with a bunch of products that you can buy. Why is the course? Why does this work? Why uh, do we invest in this particular way? Why is it that returns on this area of the market are different from this area of the market? Why do we use price to book versus price to earnings? Why? Uh, in determining value stocks, for example. Why do we invest in international? Why do we invest in fixed income? Why do we choose the, the particular type of fixed income that we do? You know, we talk about short-term maturities. We talk about, you know, for, because bonds are there for safety. So you, you answer the question, why? And, and that's, I think, is important. And I think a lot of times, too, what people really want to do is take the easy way and just offload responsibility. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't really want to try to understand this. So this person's a professional. I, I'm just going to do what they say. And if you don't know much, then somebody that might be telling you the wrong stuff can still still sound really good. Well, you can have that. You can do that in an industry where you have no conflicts of interest or minimal 
conflicts of interest, let's say a professional industry, like for example, your tax person, they have no incentive to make your taxes higher than they should be, right? Yeah. Uh, you can do that when there is a degree or a high level of a barrier of entry to get into the industry. Like you have to have doctor in front of your name. Like you have to have, uh, you know, either, well, you don't have to, but you know, typically you'll have people in accounting uh, that'll be CPAs or EAs or something like that. You don't have to worry about that in those industries just because there is some reason to believe that this person's gone through a level of education. And in reality, in the financial world, that's not necessarily the case. And also in the financial world, there's the opportunity to be led by the wrong incentives. You have mm -hmm. a company behind you that can say, well, you get this amount of money if you sell this product, or you get a lesser amount of money if you sell this product, but that second product may be the best choice. So you get put in odd positions on, mm -hmm. well, do I do something for the client that is more in my interest or more in their interest? Mm -hmm. And you have those conflicts that are really tough to navigate in that part of the industry. So my favorite question is why? Okay, next, uh, what next point that he makes? Next one is a skepticism. And <laughs> That's I, a good one. I, I kind of like this. One of the, <laughs> yes. the first line is, the main product of the financial industry isn't portfolios, it's propaganda. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's a great line. I mean, that, that comes through when, with all with news in uh -huh. many, many areas, but certainly in financial, we constantly talk about so much of the information out there that's bad, that's self-interested, that's conflicted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll go watch TV and then they'll say, hey, this uh, this area of the market's hot right now. And, and what that does is it tells you what did well before. It doesn't tell you what's going to do well into the future, but it sells investments. You know, you'll see, hey, you need to have this. Remember that one there was a, a Japan uh, was a Japanese stocks yen hedged. <laughs> and, you know, there they were in essence saying, hey, if you had actually done this specific technique, your Japanese stocks would have done better during the past, you know, five years or whatever. I forgot what the period of time was. But yeah, it is. It's propaganda It's trying to get you to do things that are not necessarily in your best interest. But they sound good and they sell. Yeah, it's a message that I'm continually trying to reinforce with, mm -hmm. with clients is that the media, financial media, is not your friend. They are not there to help you. They are there to gain audience, to sell advertising, to get eyeballs, and they have very different incentives. And so you have to understand what those are. Mm -hmm. And then you start to see more and more where they're coming from when there's a ticker on every screen and there's somebody there telling you, well, you should do this with your portfolio because the Fed's going to do X, Y, or Z, or you hear all the, the the scary stories about, oh, the dollar's crashing, or the dollar's going to be replaced, or all this stuff that's to get you emotional, get you upset, but very little of it is mm -hmm. actually worth listening to and is likely to help you. I'll give you another one I think is really important. Uh, I find that some people will go to large financial institutions thinking that, well, there are a large financial institution, there's more safety there. And one of the very biggest financial institutions, 25 years ago, they tried to recruit me. And this is back when I was studying a lot of this academic research. And, and I said, and the person said, the, the person, an advisor for the company said, Paul, you need the strength of, and blah, blah, blah. He named the company that I work for. And I said, no, I think I'm good. Two years later, I am chairman of the Chamber of Commerce in my community. The same guy comes up to me and goes, oh, man, this is after 2002, right? What happened in the market? He goes, man, I just got killed. He's talking about how badly his own personal portfolio had done. How are you doing? 
And I said, I'm fine. I, you know, and he, and I, all I could think of in the back of my mind, what happened to the strength of blah, 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 your company <laughs> in that particular instance. But here, here's what happens is, and this reminds me of a good friend of ours, uh, actually, who was speaking, and I say a good friend of ours because he deals in in a lot of the academic circles, so he gets to talk to people that, uh, well, we do too now, but yeah, but it was back, he actually was speaking in front of this group of people, which was pretty cool, uh, but some of them were Nobel Prize winning economists. And one of the guys, they were talking about diversification of the portfolio, and he says, and his his philosophy and ours are dead on with each other as far as how to manage portfolios, how to put them together, diversify the portfolios, and so on and so forth. And he said, I was talking about diversification. And he says, a Nobel Prize winning economist stands up and he says, he, he, well, let, me, let me back up and say, here's what he said. He said, I believe our portfolio is as diversified as any Fortune 500 company. And the academic stands up and goes, I beg to differ. <laughs> and then he goes, oh, crud. And the guy goes, I, he says, I have reviewed Fortune 500 companies, and this is more diversified than any Fortune 500 company I've ever seen. And it was just like, wow, what a cool thing. Now, the reality of it is, if you think about it, Fortune 500, those are the 500 biggest companies in the United States. And in essence, he, running a small business, was more diversified. And that's the reality of things. You can be more diversified than the vast majority of banks ever dreamt of being without the size of the bank, because the bank doesn't matter. That's a marketing department. And people don't recognize it as such. It is a way to market things to people. It is not behind. Now, where, where does the bank come in handy? It comes in handy with your regular CD deposits, as we've seen recently, if you're over the FDIC limits. That is why the big banks have been taking over some of the regional banks. If your deposit amount is below the FDIC limits, no big deal. Don't worry about it. Yeah. You, Go ahead. You had mentioned the, the Fortune 500 plans and the diversification, and it just got me thinking about, you know, so many of these huge companies and their 401k plans that we see every day. We see them from, you know, every company from small to sure. large, things like that, and how poorly diversified they are for the choices that they offer their employees. And just thinking on that in terms of it's usually consultants out there that are helping them build these lists of funds, which are usually like, you know, a dozen target date funds and then a few other stuff to sprinkle in, mm -hmm. but how poorly the opportunities in so many of those plans are for broad diversification. And again, it's it's led typically by either somebody selling the plan or with bigger companies, um, consultants that recommend different types of plans. And that was, again, another head, head scratcher in terms of, there's tons of evidence on, on what you should offer and that type mm -hmm. of diversification, mm -hmm. but yet it doesn't happen. Right. And if you want to get really, really big, and this is just the case in the, in the investing industry, if you want to get really, really big, a lot of times what you do is you cater to people's instincts and emotions, which is exactly the opposite of what people ought to be doing from an investing standpoint. One of the biggest registered uh, investment advisor companies out there actually engages in stock picking and market timing all the time. And what we know from the evidence regarding that, it doesn't work. Another one that uh, got really, really big, I, I, and I, I would love to mention names. I, I will not mention names. But the way they actually got really, really big is all they did is they ever, they, they, all they ever did when they put together portfolios is they chose funds based on past performance star ratings. You know, so they looked at if it was a five-star fund, it was in their portfolio. 
And I actually did this years ago. I, I used to do this where I would take the, the funds that they recommended and I would say, okay, here's when they recommended this five-star fund. Here's what it did afterward. And it was embarrassing how badly those funds had done after they had gotten the five-star rating. You know, so that is how fund companies get. And if you, and the reason I'm telling you this is you just need to be aware of it. You need to know this is going on because if you don't realize this is going on, if you're not curious enough to know this is going on, to use the very first point that he makes there, and if you're not skeptical enough to make the second point that he makes there in that article, you're going to be subject to it. You're going to be a victim of it, so to speak, and it's going to be a problem because you get to retirement and you won't even know why you don't have enough. And essentially, that's how I was taught in this business originally to help people choose funds, where just you just lined up a bunch of four or five star funds and they look like they mm -hmm. were really good and really smart. And that, you know, was the, the indication was that, that maybe that would mean they'd be good in the future. And of course, later on, I found out that so many of those funds didn't stay four or five star funds. They became two star, three and you, star, everything across the board. Yeah. It was random. And then eventually found the evidence that showed why that was so. But that was not, I wasn't taught how it worked. I was taught to move product. Right. And, and if you're wondering, you're sitting out there go, okay, okay, guys, enough. What is the right way? Well, what what I look at, I'm going to tell you what I look at. I look at how funds are capturing an area of the market that they're investing in, whether it be large companies, whether it be small companies, uh, whether it be value. Uh, so, you know, those are companies that are more out of favor type of companies, not real growthy companies. Like when you think of growth, you think of Amazon, think of Apple, think of, you know, companies that are growing rapidly. But, but, but growth, doesn't growth sound good? I always like, oh, yeah, oh, growth. Lots, yeah. of, lots of mutual fund companies have the name growth in them. Yeah. My money's going to grow fast. If I yeah. put it here, no, those companies have grown fast and they are growing fast and they don't have to pay as much to use your money. So the expected return is actually lower. So it's the opposite of what you think. And you go, what? That's that's weird. It's marketing. <laughs> marketing is often weird. So what happens is this. If we look at putting together how we were looking at putting these things together, for example, if I'm looking at a small company fund, I might be looking for stocks that are about $1.4 billion, $1.6 billion companies. Uh, I'm looking for, if I'm looking for value, I'm looking at the bottom 20% of all companies when it comes to like price to book, for example. Uh, when I'm looking, you know, for, so that might be that companies that have a price compared to their assets of only a dollar. 20 a dollar 40 in the u.s somewhere in that neighborhood versus in international markets right now it might be 80 cents and that's a moving target i know it might might be frustrating for me not to give you exact numbers but the numbers change all the time you could be listening to this and then six months later those numbers be different so it's that's why i say bottom 20 uh, of, of, of all markets. And that's even frustrating because it's probably not going to do the research, but I want you to know that the research is out there. The engineering is out there and most people don't know about it because the problem is the investing industry doesn't teach on this very well. Tell you what, let's take a quick break and be right back. After this, you're listening to, and this is really important stuff because you look at the returns of investors versus markets. It's really, really bad because they break these rules. And, you know, I kiddingly will say, Gosh, you you don't have you have no idea how many people that that might have had you know a hundred thousand dollars in the nineteen seventies that don't have forty to fifty million dollars today, which is market returns over that period of time. Which is you know you look at smaller and large companies and it you know it's uh, without trying to pick stocks and time the market, markets have delivered really great returns historically, and you didn't have to engage in a lot of these things that people do that 
they, they, they shouldn't be considered financial planning strategies. They're really not. Uh, it's just marketing in disguise. Paul Winkler, Investor Coaching Show, Jim Wood. We'll be back right after this. Hey, folks, I want to tell you something I'm really excited about. My new book, Confident Financial Planning, is finally out. It's in paperback, hardcover, Kindle version, and I actually have an audiobook version of it. Uh, it talks about building your financial castle. I use that throughout the book, talking about your investments, your financial plan is kind of like a castle. You have your savings and your emergency funds. I talk about that, debt, good debt, bad debt. I talk about special goal funds and how to set those things up and how to invest for those types of special things that you might want to do in the future. Types of retirement accounts, different types of taxation of investment accounts. Talk about real estate investing and pros and cons of that, how to project retirement assets, and your moat. You know, that's how you protect your castle. It's the risk management aspect of a financial plan. You want to find out more about that? You go to paulwinkler.com forward slash book to get it. And I uh, hope you enjoy. All right, we're back here. This is the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler, along with Jim Wood. So Wall Street Journal, what really smart whatever investors do i forgot what it was <laughs> i forgot the title of the article they were they it's were actually it's, it's not the wall street journal it's jasonswag.com but he's a, oh he's uh, usually a writer for the journal that's exactly. what made me think it was him yeah seven uh, virtues mm -hmm. of great investors and i think he's actually pulling this article for his personal website from stuff he wrote on the journal probably no, no doubt he's been writing a long attribution. time used to be uh, jonathan clements that i always like to quote from because he always had the personal finance column and he always had good stuff so number three what was the number three thing in independence and i think this one i really... want to be independent too oh, this reminds me of rudolph yeah <laughs> i want to be independent too <laughs> forget it um, it's not christmas forget it <laughs> Without independence, independence, investors are doomed to mediocrity was, was one of the quotes here. Um, but independence is the idea that you can't let others always do your thinking for you. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I think that's a, an important message. And, and I know we spend a lot of time trying to educate people on certain aspects of investing. You don't have to know everything, but if you know the right stuff, it keeps you from one, you know, staying up all night worrying about it. And two, makes it a lot less likely that you're going to mess it up along the way. So who's doing the thinking here? This, this one is a little bit nebulous to me because when you said independence, I'm thinking... When I, when I used to recommend people buy, like, for example, and this isn't always the case with auto insurance, but you know, like, say, disability insurance or life insurance or something like that, watch out for captive companies. You know, typically big, big companies that you've heard of are captive companies quite often, which are companies where the agent goes to work for that company and they must recommend what that company has and they basically have nothing else or, you know, somebody that... You'll hear the word, I'm an independent person, but a lot of times they work for a company and they have limited independence, but they can use the term. What did they mean by independent? I, I like independence when it comes to like insurance, you know, especially because if, if you can go to a company, a brokerage firm, and you want to buy a disability policy and the person represents the world, I mean, they can go to 80 different 
insurance companies for your disability insurance, they can shop between various companies that might be better in your particular occupation. And independence is really good there because they're not held captive to one company. What does he mean by independence? Because that is kind of a, mm, I'm wondering what he's talking about. Well, it's just uh, kind of, again, it's kind of related to the first one, the curiosity. Just don't just rely on somebody's supposed expertise and walk in and accept everything they say. You want to know a little bit about what's going on. You want to be able to think for yourself about, mm -hmm. does this make sense? Is this logical? Does this have massive amounts of evidence behind it? Or on the flip side, is somebody just telling you something that sounds good, but there's not a lot to back it up? Yeah, it just brings me back to that there's a specific product line. Like there, there are firms in town, and I'm going to tell you, this is more often than you would believe, where they'll have Friday morning meetings. And in those Friday morning meetings, they want to know how much life insurance, how much in annuities that you've sold. They want to make sure that you have a certain amount, how much in real estate investment trust used to be the thing now that real estate has done so bad, that's kind of going away. I used to despise those meetings. Well, so did I. So, so did I. It was like, you know, what's your FYC? You know, what's your first year commission for the week? What did you do? What did you sell? And you felt embarrassed if you didn't come in with a high enough number. You, you know, felt like a loser. And they, by design, made you feel like a loser. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was always a problem. But that is, that's the industry. So, independence, that, that's another thing. I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, as far as that goes, I, I want to make sure that it's like, you know, for example, the way we operate is we we don't have a, the investment firm. We choose whatever we want to do. I mean, if, if I wanted to go and change investment management or anything like that, nobody tells us what to do in that particular instance. Now, we have to disclose it in our documents that we put out there that we're making a change in what we're doing. But in essence, being completely independent that way, that's when I was actually working for a broker dealer and I was looking at leaving, uh, working for a big investment firm. And this, the compliance officer says, Paul, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. What are you going to do, Beth? And she goes, well, I got to go to work for another broker dealer. She says, you, on the other hand, you've always kind of gone your own way. And you've kind of had the what you want to do, but you don't need to have an investment firm behind you. You don't need the marketing of the investment firm behind you and the additional expense, quite frankly, of that. Uh, why don't you use, go and set up your own registered investment advisory firm? I'm like, yeah, great. What do you do? And she says, well, you still have big infir firms that do the trading, you know, that, that are discount firms that do the trading for you. But you're not beholden to them. You're not working for them. You're not employed by them. And I was like, wow, that sounds great. How do you do that? And that's that's how I went. But yeah, independence, I think. And I remember it wasn't it was uh, Jason Zweig's predecessor, Jonathan Clements, that actually made that comment from The Wall Street Journal. That was one of his things about choosing an investment advisor as having somebody that was, he called them boutique shops, you know, somebody that actually held, had a firm, but they weren't tied to a big investment firm. So they weren't beholden to their marketing. I just, uh, and I, I like how he kind of sums up this, this idea and, mm -hmm. and it just basically, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but without enough knowledge, your emotions and your results end up hostage to the whims of strangers. And those strangers can do the strangest things. Oh, yeah. Uh, fear. 
is one of the ones, the emotions that they'll play to. Oh, you know what? You need to do this for safety. You need to do this to protect yourself. You need this as, as kind of a backstop to your financial plan or whatever terminology that they use. Yeah, they'll, they'll use their, your emotions against you and greed. Okay, so let's move on to humility. All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break and then we'll move on <laughs> to humility. How about that? <laughs> Indeed. All right, you're listening to the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler, along with Jim Wood. And uh, humility is a good one. This is a really good one. This is kind of a tough one for a lot of people to handle because it's, oh Lord, it's hard to be humble, right? Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., PWI, an investment advisor registered in the state of Tennessee. PWI does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation. This information is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any securities.